Happy Father's Day again. Um, my name is Brian. I'm one of the elders here at North Shore. I'll be reading the scripture first today and then praying for us. Scripture is out of Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 through 16. Here's the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others rival you and persecute you and all, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's the word of the Lord. Now let's pray. Gracious Holy Father, we come to you this morning without the proper tools to give you the kind of glory that, that you deserve. Everything we do on our own is a mess, so help us to worship you through spirit and truth and to give you what you deserve. The only way that we can adequately come before you is if we have your help, so please enable us to do that. Help us to recognize how truly praiseworthy and wonderful you are. Thank you, Father, for all the blessings that you have given each one of us. We are blessed to live in a place where we can openly worship you, and even though it seems that our culture is daily getting more and more evil, we know that though you are greater than any evil, and that you already conquered him who most wants to spread this evil. Please remind us of this daily. We really have no good reason to fear or to dread this world, even though we do because you are greater than all of that. Even the pain and sorrow that is happening has been ordained by you for a glorious purpose, and we need to be reminded of that and encouraged, in fact, that you are infinitely great and, and faithful. And although we may be confused or hurt, you've got it under control. Help us to believe that and help us to live that as reality. Father, we also ask for healing for those that are hurting this morning. We pray for John Hickson. He was just admitted to the hospital yesterday with pneumonia and pain. Please be with him and help him through this trial. And we pray for Ken Copsey, which is recovering from a, a brain bleed. And for Jim Copsey, that, that you might grant him favor with those that are over him right now. Father, we don't know why you allow such pain and heartache to occur, but, but we do know that you love us and you have the ultimate good plan in store for each of us. Help us to recognize that and humbly obey and praise you for it. 
For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We can rest assured in that. For God be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. A few keys. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Well, good morning again. This morning's message is taken from Matthew 5. I'm going to get rid of those two. Verses 5, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16. We won't be going through all the verses this morning. That's a lot of scripture to cover, so we'll get out of here before noon. Um, <clears throat> this morning's scripture is from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon fills the rest of chapters 5, 6, and 7 and covers almost all the areas of life. It covers anger, revenge, love, divorce, judging others, anxiety, false prophets, and more. This teaching of Jesus is very practical in nature and gives us a solid base to set our lives on. It sets a standard that we can strive for, a standard we should strive for, but in truth, a standard that we will not meet. This is where our need for Jesus comes in. So knowing that he would be preaching this message and all that entailed, Jesus started his sermon with instructions for the position of our heart, the character of our lives. Nine verses in sequence start with blessed are. If we do not embrace these heart conditions, we cannot expect to be the salt and light that in the next two verses he tells us to be. These verses following the blessed are statements start with you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If Jesus is telling me that I am something, then I want to be what he expects. Remember that these you are pronouncements of Jesus are preceded by the blessed are statements. And before we can get deeply into the you are statements, we need to firmly grasp how we are blessed. The blessed are verses open the sermon and they just kind of sit there by themselves. Seemingly simple one-sentence promises for a follower of Christ. They are, in truth, extremely short summaries of a Christian's heart and life experience. Because of their short, easy reading, you may be tempted to read and move on to the next, more defined points later in Jesus' sermon, just as I have done in the past, but not today. They are here to make us think and to reason out each statement. And by dwelling on each, we will know God better and gain perspective on our life. Blessed are the first words of each of the next nine verses. Let's understand what these two words mean. In Latin, the translation, the word is beatus, which is defined as blessed or happy. It is also where the title, the Beatitudes, come from, which is how this portion of scripture is labeled in my Bible and referred to by most people. But just defining blessed in these verses as happy will not work. If I defined it as happy, they would read, happy are those who lack spirit. That's not true, and is not how we're supposed to live. Even worse would be, happy are those who mourn, or happy are those who are persecuted. So this statement, blessed are, or beatus, must be more than just happy. The sermon was preached to followers of Christ, just as I'm doing now. And as such, Jesus was instructing them on the condition of their heart, their lives, as they and you and I will follow him. We will be blessed as we are in relationship with Christ. 
We have a new heart and a never-failing hope in our Savior. He has called us to be his own. He has changed our hearts. He has given us the Holy Spirit, who lives within us and guides us, our helper, the one who gives us power. John 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This change, this difference between a Christian and someone without Christ is how we are to come to be blessed. This is the changed heart of a Christian, a person who can rest in their relationship with God through their Savior, Jesus. This is not a fleeting, happy feeling. It is a state of existing, knowing that no matter what, you are loved by God. He has told you to call him Father when you pray. The blessed are verses describe the never-failing love of a perfect father that we can know and always trust. It is the condition of our souls that we can lean on and grow into as we draw nearer to God and know him more. Let's examine verse 1. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. On first read, this appears to say, if you have little spirit, or maybe a bad kind of spirit, a poor spirit, you get the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's not right. The issue is my understanding of poor. It does, not re it does refer to lacking, as in having little money, you're considered poor. But it does refer to someone who knows that they are in need of God's help. This blessing comes when we realize that we are spiritually bankrupt. We cannot produce any spiritual power on our own. No amount of yoga, meditation, or other self-spiritual discipline will cause us to earn our way or to find a path to a higher consciousness, to find a, a spiritual plane above where we now exist. This person comes to understand that they are both physically and spiritual in nature, and they rightly understand that there is a spiritual life as well and that they are in need of a savior. The path to heaven belongs to those who understand that they bring nothing and confess to God their need of a saving grace, their need of Jesus. Let's read verse three again. And I don't know, we usually don't do this together, but I'm gonna ask all of us to read this verse together aloud. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you have accepted Jesus as your savior, then this verse is describing you. You have received the kingdom of heaven, and as such, you are greatly blessed. In fact, as a Christian, you are the one blessed in each of these verses. And your blessedness can be tied to your gifting from the Holy Spirit and your maturity in Christ. More on this maturity in Christ later. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is truth that we can find comfort in our relationship with Christ when hurtful things happen to us in this life. But that is not the mourning that this verse is keyed to. Let's check a couple other verses to get God's perspective on mourning, and then we'll gain a better grasp of verse 4. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. This godly grief is the, is the realization of how sinful we truly are 
and a turning to God for forgiveness and restoration. The worldly grief is sorrow and shame that our sinful ways were discovered, which leads those without Christ, those worldly persons, to try and hide their sin and make excuses for it, and all manner of bad behavior in response, all of which just drag this person closer to spiritual death. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. This does seem a strange piece of scripture, but it is in reference to the choice a person makes, a choice to enter a house of mourning or a choice to enter a house of mirth, an Old Testament, old language way of describing frivolous laughter and meaningless. Think of a meaningless party if you could imagine that. The time spent reflecting on our own sin will give us a countenance of sadness, of sorrow, but only for a time, as then when we confess our failures, we will be restored and our heart will be made glad. Spending some time getting to honestly know ourselves can be healthy and the heart will be glad as we deepen our dependence on God. Both of these passages relate to a Christian's response to their own sin. And that is the mourning that verse 4 is referring to. Verse 4 again, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This verse follows directly after verse 3. This is a progressive blessed are. As the new Christian is ecstatic to now be part of the family of Christ, soon after they realize that sin is still in their life. This leads to repentance, godly sorrow. God can and does work in the medium of mourning. He comforts, he restores, he brings peace and strength needed to win our battles with sin. The Holy Spirit prompts us and guides us in the way to go. Verse 4 also needs to be a regular part of our walk with Christ. As we go through life, we are saved, we have accepted Christ as our Savior, but we do continue to sin, and we need to know to go back to him to ask for that forgiveness that we need to have him restore us so that we can be blessed in his presence. Our relationship with our Savior will be deeper than before as we do this. Let's read together verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And yes, I'm going to do this with the next couple verses. Um, blessed 5, blessed, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Good news here. This verse is easy, it's plain, and as long as we're not confused on the meaning of meekness, we will easily grasp it. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11 will give us a great definition of meekness. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Here we have our example of meekness. Jesus, born as a man, subjecting himself to the will of his Father and dying on the cross. 
This was a choice. His life was not taken from him. He gave it. This restraint of power is the ultimate example of being meek. It takes two strength and conviction to have the ability in your own strength to change a situation for your benefit, oftentimes at the expense of others, and yet not to push for your own way. The Christian puts aside their personal agenda and resists the urge to get the, what they want no matter what. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, and he was given the name above all others, and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and we are heirs in the kingdom with Christ. We also inherit the earth. Our job is to trust in God. Trust that, he, he, that it is he who will direct the outcome of what we will do. It is not our agenda that should be pushed. It is our task to find out what God wants from us and in meekness to our own will, do as he desires. The strength of knowing God's desire for our work can lead us to show others the heart of Christ. Our lives will look much different than those who do not know Christ. We will be inviting others to find out about our Savior by the way that we live. Our meek responses to the stresses and trials of this world should allow others to see that we have a trust in a higher power. We have no need to desperately demand that we get everything we can and want from this fallen world. They should see our strength in caring for others. True meekness does not look like a spineless person without a will of their own, but a person who has chosen their response. Someone watching might even think, wow, now there's a restrained person. I wonder what would have happened if they let it fly. And then know that this person chose their reaction. This person remembered that they are heirs with Christ and that they will rule and reign with him when he returns. They have no need to push their own way in this world. Let's read together verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's define righteousness and then look at the subject of hunger and thirst. A simple definition of righteousness is the quality of being virtuous, honorable, morally right. In other words, living without sin. Righteousness in God's eyes can only be achieved by our faith in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross. This is not a small item. In fact, righteousness could be a multi-part sermon series easily. But for today, this general description would work for us. We can easier understand what it means to hunger and to thirst, but I, think, I don't think we have experienced this often. Can you recall the last time you were confronted with hunger pains? When your stomach clenched and growled, and when the only thought that you had was, I need to put some food into this body. More likely, then, would be that the last thing you were was thirsty, a realization that you needed water. If you went too long without drinking, you would become confused, dizzy, muscle fatigue, and other symptoms. So we know what hunger and thirst feels. So why do we choose to have these physical reactions? Well, that was me leading you guys a little bit. Um, 
No, we don't choose these physical reactions. Hunger and thirst are, are just the way that we've been put together by our God. This is a response to the needs that our body has. And God put it that way so that we would eat and drink as we should. Our verse is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm led to believe that this desire for righteousness is also a natural reaction, but not a physical reaction, but a spiritual reaction. So who, so who would desire this righteousness and how would it occur? I would have to say the cause would have to be the indwelling Holy Spirit. John 16, the second half of verse 7 and verse 8 will give us a clue. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This verse is talking about the Holy Spirit who Jesus promised to give to his, to his followers. And more and more as we mature, mature as Christians, the desire that everyone should act honestly, without deceit. We long for a true relationship that we have with Christ. We desire to have all of our re relationships resemble that which we have with our Father God. But we know that all persons are flawed. Yes, even ourselves. And any relationship we will, will leave us wanting more than that relationship can give. Pure honesty and true selfless, selfless love cannot be found here among the fallen. Yet we are driven still to find that relationship. We hunger and we thirst to find our satisfaction in Christ. The blessed are is to those who go after Christ and that relationship. Those who listen to the Spirit's promptings, they are satisfied. They find all that they need in Christ as it is the only place that righteousness can be found. By engaging Christ daily in prayer and scripture, this person satisfies their hunger for righteousness. They are filled and content with their standing in Christ. Let's read that verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For this morning, these four verses will be enough. Let's think about what God is telling us in them. And I also want to touch on the UR promises of verse 13 and 14. This message is for believers, for followers, for persons who have realized that they need Jesus. When he gave the message 2,000 years ago, this was brand new information on the earth. They had never heard anything like this before and they had not yet received the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus had not paid the price for the forgiveness of our sins yet. His church had not yet been birthed. Truly, the listeners were not Christians in the way that we now come to Christ. His public ministry on earth was really just beginning. Still, great multitudes did come to hear his message. They could not have known the full meaning of this teaching. As with all scripture, God knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus preached these words just as he was supposed to. He did not leave out anything or add anything that was not to be said. Today, this is not new information on this earth. It has been written for 2,000 years, but it may be new to you personally. It will have the same result in your life as it did to those who first heard it from Christ. As they heard it repeated by the apostles and their understanding was enabled by the Holy Spirit, this scripture is life-giving. 
The title that I gave this sermon was Keys to Christianity. The reason I chose keys was simple, and I believe it might be helpful for us to think of the scripture as keys. What are some characteristics of keys? They open locked things. They permit access. They are specific to the lock. They cannot be generally used on everything, with the exception of a master key, but even that only works on a specific series of locks. They are generally given to you. My key ring from work is full of keys, and they were all given to me as needed. And that's the keys. This is my key ring from work. I'm a maintenance person, so a lot of keys. I didn't create any of them myself. I didn't go looking to add more keys to my ring because I have a hard job remembering which one goes where. But each one functions specifically as it needs to, and I need each one to do my job. And that is our reference point for this morning's scripture. The Beatitudes will open places in our lives, in our spirits. We have a need to know how to respond when we're feeling spiritually lacking or if we're being overcome by mourning for someone, something, or for our sinful actions. When we struggle against our own selfish desires and meekness is not even close to our current actions. When we realize that we are surrounded by unrighteousness up to our necks and we just can't seem to stand it any longer. We need to reach for these keys. We can unlock the blessings of being a Christian. We do not need to suffer these things as those in the world without Christ do. We can and should call on the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to lead us, to help us draw near to Christ in worship and in fellowship, to bring honor and glory to God in all that we do. We need this instruction if we're to even get close to the calling that Jesus gives us in verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do the people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Jesus commands those who would follow him to be salt and light. His commands start with a declaration of you are. No room for discussion here. Are you a Christian? Then you are salt, and you are to preserve those around you, to save them from decay, and to give them some flavor. After all, what could be more enticing than eternal life with the creator of the universe, spent in fellowship without sin messing it all up? And so all can hear this good news. We are to be a light so that everyone can see us. This is about as challenging as any command can be for our lives. The good news again is that we do not do any of these things on our own power. We are not supposed to. It is not a work of man that brings people to salvation in Christ. It is the working of God. We are just the messengers and not the power. If this message is something new to you, or if the Christ I have described is something or someone that you do not know but you want to, if your heart is calling you to accept him as your Savior, 
Please do not leave this morning without sharing that with someone. Elders will be up front after the service to pray for you, to pray with you. And if you need anything, please don't hesitate to, to come forward. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the ability to preach your word this morning. God, I ask that you would bless this, this message, that you would take from it anything that I was not supposed to say and erase it from our mem memories. Lord, that you would just grant your blessing to everyone here this morning. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.